Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Hi, I'm Randall Chan, and this is the Beyond the Pearls podcast. Today, we'll be talking about an eight-month-old infant male who was brought to the pediatrician for a cough, occurring intermittently for the past six months. He was initially diagnosed with viral bronchiolitis and has since been diagnosed with three more upper respiratory tract infections. His coughing episodes occur several times per week. He has woken up coughing twice at night in the last month. What is a differential diagnosis? Chronic cough has a wide differential. Coughing at night, in particular, raises suspicions for conditions such as sinusitis, gastroesophageal reflux, or asthma. Sinusitis can lead to increased postnasal discharge, especially at night when the child is recumbent, leading to a cough. Gastroesophageal reflux is a common cause of discomfort in infants that often self-resolves by 12 months of age, but could cause more significant problems such as aspiration in children with underlying neurologic or muscular disorders. Step 1, 2, or 3, Pearl. Gastroesophageal reflux in infants is a physiologic process due to lower tone of the lower esophageal sphincter that worsens slightly over the first 4 to 6 months of life and generally improves by 12 months of life without treatment. Although commonly associated with cough in adults, there is limited evidence that gastroesophageal reflux is a significant trigger of cough in otherwise healthy children. Asthma, a disease of airway hyperreactivity due to small airway inflammation, is also worsened at night. The reasons are multifactorial, thought to be due to pulmonary function variants, which is worse at night, as well as reduced glucocorticoid receptor affinity, lung volume, and distal airway inflammation at night. Nocturnal allergen exposures such as dust mites, rhinocytis or sinusitis, gastroesophageal reflux, and obstructive sleep apnea can also contribute to nocturnal symptoms. Step 1 Pearl The eosinophils are the main inflammatory cells in the airways of patients with asthma, whereas macrophages are the main antigen-presenting cells in the airways to initiate the immune response. Returning to our case, uh, you note that nothing worsens or improves the cough, and no other children are currently sick. The cough is present inside and outside the house and is not affected by the temperature. The family does not have any pets. The patient's father smokes, but only outside the house. Step 1 Pearl Tobacco smoke is a respiratory irritant. Although an infant may not be exposed directly, smoke residue can linger on surfaces long after the cigarette has been extinguished and may still cause respiratory symptoms. The family denies any fevers or chills. He does not have any choking or gagging with feeds and is gaining appropriate weight. He has been previously diagnosed with atopic dermatitis of the face. The family history is positive for the father with asthma. On physical examination, the baby is febrile, well-appearing, and in no acute distress. Blood pressure is 90 over 50 millimeters of mercury, pulse rate is 105 beats per minute, respiratory rate is 30 breaths per minute, and oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. His atopic dermatitis is evidence on his face and his body. The pulmonary examination is notable for wheezes in all lung fields, but no strider or accessory muscle use is noted. He has no focal findings on the pulmonary exam. What is the significance of our patient having wheezing but no strider? A wheeze is a high or low-pitched musical oscillatory sound. It can be inspiratory or expiratory. Wheezes suggest airway narrowing, seen in conditions such as asthma or bronchiolitis, for example. Strider is a high-pitched monomorphic sound best heard in the upper airway. Conditions with large airway narrowing, such as laryngomalacia or croup, would result in strider.
What is the next step? Asthma is the most likely diagnosis at this time, given the patient's dry cough, nocturnal blood, given the patient's dry cough, nocturnal cough, diffuse wheezing on examination, atopic dermatitis, and positive family history. Asthma is defined by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the National Institutes of Health as episodic, partially or fully reversible airway obstruction due to airway inflammation and hyperreactivity. The hyperreactivity may be caused by a variety of stimuli such as allergens, infections, and cold or dry air. Family history also plays a role, in particular a history of atopy in the patient or family implies a possibility of asthma. Step 1, 2, or 3 pearl. Atopy is a predisposition to allergic disease that is mediated by IgE immunoglobulins. Such diseases include atopic dermatitis, allergic rhinitis, asthma, and eosinophilic esophagitis. According to the recommendations from the expert panel review of the National Heart Lung Blood Institution, spirometry, a measurement of airflow over time, is recommended to demonstrate the reversible airway obstruction characteristic of asthma. Reversibility is defined as improvement in bronchial hyperreactivity, measured as an increase in the forced expiratory volume in one second of at least 200 milliliters and at least 12% increase from baseline after the administration of a short-acting beta agonist. Step 1 Pearl. Inhaled beta agonist drugs are sympathomimetics that directly induce bronchodilation. Although described in infants and young children, spirometry is generally performed in children 5 years of age and older. In a patient with likely asthma who is too young to undergo spirometry reliably, it is reasonable to treat the child presumptively with a bronchodilator and an inhaled corticosteroid if indicated. The National Heart Lung Blood Institute provides a number of key indicators that can guide a clinical diagnosis of asthma. Returning to our case, we make the diagnosis, and the final diagnosis is asthma. What are the next steps? A clinician should assess impairment and risk to determine the severity of a patient's asthma. Impairment reflects the frequency and intensity of symptoms and the functional limitations that the patient has experienced recently, such as wheezing, cough, chest tightness, shortness of breath, nocturnal awakening, frequency of use of rescue medicines, and difficulty or inability performing normal activities including exercise. Consideration of risk involves looking at the last year for the likelihood of asthma exacerbations and progressive decline in lung function, and consideration of risk of adverse effects from medication in the next year. The overall picture from the impairment and risk assessments are combined to place a patient into an initial severity category, intermittent or mild, moderate, or severe persistent. Medication should then be started and the patient and family should be taught proper use of inhalers and spacers. Finally, a clinician should create an asthma action plan and a plan for follow-up. Step 2 or 3 Pearl All patients with asthma should be given an asthma action plan with a list of medications, when and how to give rescue and controller medications, and when to seek medical attention. Anticipatory guidance for asthma exacerbations can be life-saving. Step 1, 2, and 3 Pearl Intermittent asthma can be remembered by the rule of twos. Use of an inhaled short-acting beta agonist two days a week or longer, symptoms two days a week or less, and nighttime awakenings twice each month or less. Which medication should be started in this patient? Six levels of therapeutic intensity are defined by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute guidelines. All patients are started on an inhaled short-acting beta agonist as needed. The frequent use of short-acting beta agonists may indicate the need for more intensive therapy, however. In patients with severe or persistent symptoms, a controller medication such as an inhaled glucocorticoid with or without a long-acting beta agonist should be initiated. Step 1 Pearl 
Inhaled glucocorticoids modulate multiple inflammatory cells in the airway, resulting in decreased airway inflammation. Systemic glucocorticoids have the same airway effects but with more undesired systemic effects. Thus, they are generally reserved for exacerbations. Step 2 and 3 Pearl Long-acting beta agonists should not be used as monotherapy because it may increase the risk of asthma-related deaths, first noted in the Salmuterol Multicenter Asthma Research Trial, or SMART trial. A subgroup analysis suggested that uh, the risk may be greater in African Americans. Returning to the case, the family states that the patient is symptomatic two to five days a week, with one to two nighttime awakenings per month. He is diagnosed with mild persistent asthma and is started on daily low-dose fluticasone and as-needed albuterol. At his follow-up visits, his parents report that his symptoms have decreased to less than one day a week without any nocturnal awakenings. He has needed his albuterol two times total in the last month, and he has not required oral corticosteroids. How are medications titrated over time? The same symptoms used to determine the severity of diagnosis in the impairment and risk domains are used to determine adequacy of symptom control. The level of control is determined using the guidelines, and a patient's medication regimen is stepped up or down. Stepping up a patient's medication regimen is done if the disease is not adequately controlled after checking for medication adherence, environmental factors, and other possible comorbid conditions. If the patient's asthma is adequately controlled for three months, a step down should be considered. The goal is always to have the patient on the lowest step needed for adequate control. Step 2 and 3, Pearl. Several terms commonly used in asthma are distinct despite dis- similar definitions. Severity is the intrinsic intensity of the disease used as a guideline to initiate therapy. Control is the degree to which symptoms are minimized and the goals of therapy are met, and it is used as a guide to adjust or maintain therapy. Finally, responsiveness is the ease with which asthma control is achieved by therapy. His parents would like to know about his long-term prognosis. What are the chances that this patient will still have asthma symptoms at 10 years of age? Not all young children who wheeze with viruses will go on to have asthma later in life. The Asthma Predictive Index is a clinical scoring system available to predict the risk of an asthma diagnosis in later childhood. Approximately 60% of children with at least one major criterion or two minor criteria and parental report of any wheezing by a child of three years of age were found to have asthma later in life. The positive predictive value increased approximately 75% in the subset of those with reported frequent wheezing. Beyond the pearls. Number one, exercise-induced bronchospasm is common in asthmatics. Pre-treatment with an inhaled short-acting beta agonist 15 to 20 minutes prior to activity can help prevent symptoms. Number two, a bronchoprovocation test may be done for patients who have, who have a history and physical examination that is atypical for asthma. Diagnostic results are either indeterminate or negative. Methicoline, cold air, and exercise have all been used to demonstrate an increase in airway obstruction. Number three, spirometry is used not only to diagnose asthma, but also to measure the response to controller medications, along with the history of physical examination. Number four, vocal cord dysfunction is often misdiagnosed as asthma and should be considered when a patient has a diagnosis of asthma but does not respond to traditional treatments. Number five, Although parents often believe the medications delivered via nebulizer are more effective than the same medications delivered via via a meter dose inhaler with spacer, the latter has proven to be as effective in randomized trials. Number six, although there is a greater body of evidence that inhaled corticosteroids are beneficial for mild persistent asthmatics in all age groups, oral leukotriene receptor antagonists are an alternative that may also be beneficial to those with comorbid allergic rhinitis. In practice, the ease of oral administration and parent preference may improve compliance as well. Number seven, chromalin, a mast cell stabilizer, is mentioned as an alternative treatment for persistent asthma. 
However, it is a historic drug that is not practical in pediatrics due to its four times a day dosing schedule. It is not useful for the quick relief of symptoms once an asthma attack has begun. Number eight, in patients six years of age and with persistent asthma who have a poor control of their asthma despite standard therapy, one may consider omalizumab, which is a monoclonal antibody that prevents IgE from binding to mast cells. This has been the Beyond the Pearls podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.